Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Good morning, good morning. How is everybody? Good, kind of good. Quietly good, it seems like. Uh, when Joel asked me to, uh, to bring this specific message, I was super excited. Uh, he is actually out of town, so I'll be praying for him this morning. Uh, but for those who don't know me, my name is Jarrett Martin. I am a volunteer here. Uh, by day, I actually do business development at an oil and gas startup in downtown Austin. By night, I, I get to serve our college ministry and have a blast about th- with that. Uh, I, I, we don't have a, t- a ton of time because we are going to get moving uh, through the book of Exodus in a second here. Uh, but if you want to know anything about me, the one person that you can look at in my life is my 94-year-old grandma who I talked to uh, this morning for about 30 minutes. She's amazing. Uh, she helped found uh, the Underground Railroad. Just an awesome woman of God. She, she really didn't help with the, with the Underground Railroad. I'm just kidding. People were like, oh, wow, that's impressive. She knew Harriet and everything? No, 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 no. Oh, that, was, that was a little while before her time. But no, she is great. I spoke to her this morning. Uh, she spent, I don't know, I think I said about five words, and she talked for the other 30 minutes. She was just dropping one-liners. She was like, son, if, if they're listening to you and all they hear is you, then they ain't hearing nothing. I was like, okay, okay, cool. And it's like, you got to bring the fire. And at one point, I stopped her, and I messed with her a lot. And I was like, you know, Grandma, I actually, I just, I want to have some fun this morning. I want to bring the people some fun. She goes, fun? They don't need to hear it. They don't need fun. They need to know that they're not going to go to hell. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So I told her that after the, the message, I'd give her a call and, and let her know how it goes. And then she assured me that as, if I did everything that she told me to do, it'll go fine. So, uh, but she's, she's amazing. She was like, what time is the service starting? Uh, she has everyone in our family, which is a lot, uh, who is preaching this morning. She is praying for her. So she had all the time. She had your cousin Carlos in California, his dad, uh, Leon, and, and then her son, um, Truman in Ohio, and then my mom is preaching this morning at our church, my parents' church, my sister's leading worship, so she just like went through her list, and Cheryl's doing this and this, so I just have an, a, an awesome legacy of a family, uh, but also Sozo is so much part of the story. I have to thank Steve, and have to thank Joel, and, and Kenny, and there's so many names, uh, Tom and Archie, for everyone uh, who has just made such impacts on my life since I got here, but let's go ahead and get started, because we got some ground to cover this morning. Uh, if you could turn to Exodus 2. And Jude, Exodus 2, and Jude. We're going ha- to gonna, gonna have some fun. My grandmother's going to be rolling uh, in her recliner, but we're going to have some fun. Okay? So Exodus 2, Exodus 2. Just, just to give you a little bit of a backstory on what's happening, uh, so, so there were the people uh, of, of, of Israel, and they all uh, go into Egypt because Joseph has just saved uh, saved everyone because he was the guy that had the wisdom to protect everyone from a famine. So they all go to Egypt. Jacob, in his old age, goes there, all 12 of his sons, and they actually stay there. And, and after they, they stay there for a while, uh, in chapter 1 of Exodus, it says that the, the, the person who replaced Pharaoh uh, actually forgot what the Israelites had did for them, and he started to see that they became a powerful people, and as they become more powerful, he became uh, afraid. So he said, okay, I am going to kill every firstborn son 
or every son of the Israelites. I'm going to make them my slaves because uh, I don't want these people to get any stronger. And that is where we jump into the story here uh, in Exodus 2, verse 1. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. Can you say that with me? Levi. I didn't tell you what to say. That was my fault. Can you say Levi with me? Levi. That's important. From the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She thought that she, uh, uh, son. she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus leaf and waterproofed it with pitch and tar. She put the baby in a basket and laid it among the, amongst the reeds in, uh, along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen next. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for the help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, the mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Let's pray. Lord God, teach us how to be free. Amen. I pray quick. I'm the guy you want at your house for Thanksgiving, Memorial Day. I'll take invitations and I can do the prayer for you. Uh, but, but, but as this story starts, uh, um, the, the thing that pops off of the page is that Moses' mom was, was kind of crazy. Like, like we start off with a child protective services case from the very first sentence. Like at the very beginning, this lady is taking a baby, putting him in a basket, and sending him down the river, and she just acts like it's normal. Everyone in the story acts like it's normal. Like, I, I wonder if she had any friends where she could go get advice, where she could go get insight, that would have said, it's not a good idea to put your baby in a basket and send him down the river. Like, you don't have a friend, you don't have, you, have you looked into boarding school? Like, I can just imagine one of her girlfriends coming over the house after it all happened, and she's like, oh my gosh, where's baby Moses at? I want to see him. I bought him some baby clothes. Where is he? Where is he, girl? Where is he? And she's like, oh, well, actually, actually, we, we put him in a basket this morning, and we sent him down the river. Hold up. What'd you say you did? Yeah, yeah. See, no, it's okay. It's okay. Like, Pharaoh actually, like, like, like his daughter actually got him, and he's going to be okay. They're going to take care of him. Well, girl, I hope he's going to be okay because you're about to go to jail. That is a felony. Maritime law is no joke. You don't want the Coast Guard picking you up. Them handcuffs hurt, baby. Girl, pull it together. Luckily, Moses is saved, but it doesn't come at a cost. Or but it comes at a cost. You see, he, he's separated from his mother which already has to be traumatic, and then he's going to go on to spend the rest of his life living under, under uh, the rule of Pharaoh in his house, the very man who wanted to kill his people 
and if he would have had a chance, would have killed him. But the truth is that even in the midst of all this, God is already doing something profoundly prophetic. If you look, she, she says, I am going to name him Moses, for I have lifted him out of the water. This is actually the first exodus. Little did she know that 80 days later, or sorry, 80 years later, that Moses would be moving a people out of water into royalty, much like he was moved out of water and into royalty as an infant. It doesn't matter what your past is, but God is actually doing prophetic things in your past. That the things that he actually uh, uh, has done in you, it, it, he wants to do through you. That you can actually see the story of redemption in your life played out in the lives of other people. So, so Moses grows up, understandably, an angry man. Literally, the next uh, uh, two verses says, Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and saw, and saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of, the fellow, of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, which is always a good thing to do before you're going to kill somebody, right? Make sure nobody's watching. Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in plain sight. The Bible actually doesn't comment on, 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 on Moses, on Moses uh, uh, killing this man very much. It doesn't really give an explanation of why, but I think if we look deeper in the scripture, we can actually find it. Turn with me uh, to Genesis 49, verse 5. This is the story of, of all of the 12 sons of Israel uh, they're about to get blessed by their father, Jacob, because he's about to pass away. They, are, they had just gotten to Egypt, and, and, and he's going to pray for every single one of his sons and give, him a wor- and give them a word. And then this is what he says to Levi. Again, if you remember, I said it was important that Moses' parents were Levites. Jacob comes and prays for his son, and he says, Simon and Levi are two of a kind. Their weapons are instruments of violence. May I never join in their meetings. May I never be party to their plans. For in their anger, they murdered men, and they crippled oxen just for sport. A curse on their anger, for it is fierce. A curse on their wrath, for it is cruel. I will scatter them along the descendants of Jacob. I will disperse them throughout Israel. You can only imagine how Simon and Levi felt at this moment in their lives. That the man that they grew up with, the man that was supposed to support them, the man who was supposed to bless them, actually cursed them. I know that some of you all have life experiences when the people that were around you that were supposed to help you, the people that were, uh, that were authority figures who were supposed to, supposed to help you p- progress in life and encourage you, that they actually did the exact opposite and they hurt you. And now, and now Moses is dealing with something where he says, man, I'm tr- I know that I have a destiny. I know that God has this prophetic thing on me. But I'm trying to carry it out with the dysfunction of my family, and I'm actually hurting people. So Moses has to flee. He's gone for, for, for 40 years. This is uh, uh, the, the second exodus in the exodus story. Uh, he, he lives with, with Jethro, and uh, he's there until, until he's 80, and then he comes back. 
Now, this is the Moses that we know and love, the one that's bad to the bone with the beard. I don't really know if guys in the Old Testament had beards. I like to think they kind of had the American chopper, like, like the really thick uh, handlebar mustaches and stuff. So he comes back. He comes back with the uh, with the beard and the cane and the whole the whole nine yards. He sings the whole "Let my people go" thing. So, and, and he's talking to Pharaoh and he's trying to negotiate. He's like, "Hey, I, I, you need to let my people go for there's three days so they can worship God. Just let just let us go." And, and he's not making any progress at Pharaoh. So then the plagues come. First one is water. That turns to blood. The second one is frogs. And that's actually, I, actually, I want to go there because this is important. Exodus 8. I told you we're going to move a lot. So Exodus 8, verse 8 through verse 10. We're going to learn something from this. Okay, the plague. I am not in the right chapter. Here we go. So Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. Plead with the Lord to take these frogs away from me and my people. I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. Man, there were frogs everywhere. There were frogs jumping out of stuff. I mean, I've, I, I've lived with three sisters, or two sisters and a mom. So I know if there are like frogs, roaches, just anything, nobody is happy because the women are unhappy. Can, can I get an amen? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So, this, so, so all of Egypt is un, in unrest. And then Moses says, well, you set the time. Tell me when you want me to pray for you, your officials and your people. Then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. They will remain only in the Nile River. And then Pharaoh says something that blows my mind. And he says, do it tomorrow. No, 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 Pharaoh, I don't think you heard him. He said he can take the frogs away. And you said tomorrow. Yeah, Pharaoh said tomorrow. It's not, it's not ridiculous to think that he had, the, he had freedom from frogs and, and he could bring peace back to his land, but he said tomorrow. The truth is, we can do the same thing in our own lives. Yeah, we're going to go there this morning. Yeah. We can do the same thing in our lives. We say, man, I have a little, I have a little affliction. I got something that, that I know does not belong in my life, but when it comes time to deal with it, I say maybe tomorrow. Maybe we can just put this off to later. And the issue is when you wait till tomorrow, you take something in your life that was always meant to be a pest, and you turn it into a pet. The things that you allow to stay, the things that you get complacent with, become something that you own. Yeah, no, this little issue, now this is, this is me. <laughs> my anger problems, this is, this is me. You know, my lust issues, this is me. You see, pets, you do everything to work out of your life, but pets, you will actually uh, form your life ar around them so that they're cared for. You'll actually accommodate certain aspects of your life so that you can take care of it. That you actually uh, uh, make sure that it's well supported 
And in exchange, it will lay in bed with you at night and keep you comfortable. What are the things in your life that you were never meant to carry, but that you've made your own? So Moses goes on. The children of Israel, uh, they, they're able to, to, to leave after all the other plagues. And, and, and the, the Bible says that, that uh, they have the first Passover there. Uh, the, the angel of death pa- passes over. And, and, uh, and, and all the people of Israel are able to leave town. And, and they are ecstatic. Uh, the, the, the Egyptians actually, the Bible says that they essentially robbed the Egyptians because they just gave them all of their gold. Again, this is a picture of salvation. They're crossing through the water, and they're coming out as royalty. That's around uh, chapter 16. So cha- late chapter 15, we're not going to read it. They get to the other side. Moses uh, ha- has defeated, uh, the, the, Moses and God has defeated the, the Egyptians with his staff. It's kind of a one-man show. And what does it say that they do? It actually says that they have a celebration. That there's a, a, a that, that, that all, the, all of Israel sings, and then all the ladies have their own little song. So there's this lady named Miriam. She just starts to bust down. Some of the young people know what that means. She just starts to bust down. She's like having a good time. And, and, and her and all the ladies are like, the horse and the rider have been thrown into the sea. The horse, the rider, got thrown into the sea. The horse, the rider, got thrown into the sea. And then they start to get hungry. The horse, the rider, got thrown into the sea. The horse, the rider, got thrown. And then they start to get hangry. The horse, the rider got thrown, okay? I'm tired of singing this song. I'm not trying to sing songs anymore, okay? We're here now, but we ain't got no food. All right, I'm trying to eat. We can sing after we eat, right? They start to get hangry. They start to complain and complain and complain because what has actually happened was that even though they have changed their location, even though they have more money than they ever had, they're still them, and they no longer have the comfort of their slaveholders. This is point number one. All that was just an introduction. This is point number one. Slaves do not believe that God will provide. Slaves do not believe that God will provide. Because you see, they had left Egypt, but they hadn't left them. And there were some mindsets and some things that they picked up in Egypt that they were going to have to let go of if God was going to move powerfully among them. Slaves do not believe that God will provide. For those who want a scripture reference, it is Exodus 16, 2 through 3, where it says, There too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. There we sat around with pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us to death. In fact, the scripture said that at certain points, they, they complain so much that they start reminiscing about the leeks and onions they had in Israel. Do you know how hungry you have to be to reminisce about an onion? They're like, I know. I know they beat us brutally every day. 
But gosh, those onions were good, weren't they? They were delicious. So slaves do not believe that God will provide. The slaves were used to their master's food. They were used to getting getting comfort from places that God never intended them to get comfort and substance from. So they complain, and then you know what God does? He feeds them. Because what Jesus and what God does is that by their very nature, they are providers. See, the people of Israel actually had had it kind of messed up. You, You notice that God never asked them what they wanted to eat. He feeds them. Because he says, I am your provider, yes. But the question isn't really whether or not I am going to provide. The question is actually, what is your appetite? Do you want what I have on the menu? So he, so he gives them quail, he gives them manna, and feeds them because they, were, they had a taste for things that they had acquired in slavery that they would not be able to have when they were going to go to the promised land flowing with milk and honey. So, so, so sometimes we say, man, I don't know. God, I just, I'm so used to, to, to just hanging on and, and, and kind of eating on this resi- resentment. He says, no, 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 I I actually have something for you. The question is, do you want it? God, I'm so stricken by loneliness, so I'm just going to get in unhealthy relationships. He says, no, I can actually provide for you in the midst of that. The question is, have you developed an appetite for it? Let's move on. The children of Israel continue on. They're basically an enormous group of toddlers. Which is the worst. I love toddlers. Um, just not groups of them. <laughs> Exodus 17, 2 through 3. So once again, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses said. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continue to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock of thirst? Very fitting uh, time for me to take a water break here. Why did you bring us out here? Point number two, slaves do not trust God with their future, and they do not know their purpose. Slave living, sin, it can give you a to-do list. It can give you a to-fun list. But what it can't give you is a purpose. What it can't give you is a purpose. And the issue with that is that humanity, that human beings are designed to operate and to work with a purpose. So what we will always do is find one. Well, see, I don't have a purpose, so my purpose would be better than your purpose and everyone else's purpose. And that's going to be the goal of my life. I don't have a purpose, so I'm just going to get attached to someone who, who does. Uh, I'm going to get in a relationship with someone who does, so I can actually just like look, kind of live off of, of their purpose. I don't have a purpose, so I'm just going to get upset when I see everyone else doing great things and, 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 and knowing where they're going in life because I actually don't know what I want to do, and, and, it, and it upsets me. When God says, look, I have made you for a purpose and on purpose, that you actually have a purpose from God that you can walk into. 
inevitably, if you find your purpose in other things, you will end up exactly where the Israelites are, saying, why am I here? What am I doing? Exodus 18, 17, thir- sorry, 13 through 17. So Jethro, who Moses spent 40 years with, uh, comes and visits Moses. And he says, the next day Moses took a seat near the people's dis- to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited for him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? What, what are you trying to, to do? Or why, are you, why are you trying to do all of this alone while everyone stands around you morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and, gives them, and give them his distru- instructions. Moses, at this point, probably feeling on top of the world. He was like, yo, I got this on lock. I'm show- telling everybody what to do, and this is working. And then his father-in-law's like, this is not good. You're going to wear yourself out in the people too. This job is too heavy of a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Slaves do not trust God to be in control. Slaves do not trust God to be in control. You see, the issue was is that, it was that Moses was taking on more responsibility and more control than God intended him to. And when you do that to the people around you, when you do that to the relationships you in, you will move further and further out of alignment with what God has called you to do. You see, Moses was supposed to be a prophet, but just a few chapters in, he set himself up like a pharaoh. Because he didn't understand that I cannot control everything, I need to empower people and trust God with the results. Oftentimes, we, 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 we over-function as human beings, which means that we enable someone to under-function, and we take as much control as we can in other people's lives, or we try to control the environment when God is asking you to give up control of, of your life, even of your family's life, of the people in your life so that he can do what he does. I mean, it shows up all the times in our relationships. You know, is that that one person who's like, man, they, if you do not take my advice, I'm going to be mad at you. It's maybe a little control issue. That person's like, I need to know every single detail of everywhere that we go all the time. No surprises. We got to stick to the plan. Might be a control issue. If you're going to be friends with me, you're going to have to learn me and all of my little rules that I have that you can't do. This may be a control issue. If, if, if you don't tell me everything and I found out that there's something you didn't tell me, I'm going to be mad at you. Yeah. It's just a little control issue. It's okay. God can fix it. He can deal with it. The truth is, is that God wants us to not take control of other people so we can take control of the destiny and the calls that he has for us. Exodus 20 and 19. So uh, Moses has just received the Ten Commandments. He's gotten them from God. 
and he, and he goes, and God is trying to invite the people of Israel to, to be in relationship with him. And in verse 19, they said to Moses, you speak for us, and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us, or we will die. Slaves do not believe that God is good. Slaves do not believe that at their, at their core, that God actually believes in me, that he actually wants to be in relationship with me, that he actually doesn't want to harm me, that he actually doesn't want to hurt me, but that every, every time I come in contact with him, that it's actually something that will be good. And, 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 and God is actually trying to illustrate this to his people right in the midst of this. When he gives Moses the Ten Commandments, he starts off with, I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. You must not have any other God before me. You know, some people think that's a restrictive command, but, but if you look at it as a prophecy of you will have no other God because I am so good, you won't need another one. It's no, make no mistakes that, that, that the next chapter seems like it's, it fits really, really oddly in the story. But God goes on to instruct Moses about what it looks like when you have a slave who loves its master so much that they want to stay there forever. The picture that he's trying to give all of Israel is, look, I am such a better master than the ones that you've had before. That, 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 that I didn't just free you to yourself because that's not actually freedom. I actually freed you to be in relationship with me. And, and that if you live under my wisdom, if you live under my grace, if you live under my lordship, you will be well taken care of. You will have everything you need and you will want to stay forever. But the children of Israel didn't get it. And oftentimes we don't. We don't believe that God has the best intentions for us or that when we hear his voice, that, it will, that it's something that's good. He's instructing us in a good way and fashion. Fast forward. Needless to say, these people don't get into the promised land. In Numbers 13, um, they, that, that, that's when uh, Moses sends out his 12 spies, and they all come back. Uh, 13, if you want to write this down, 13, 31, and thir- through 33, and Moses actually, uh, they, they, they bring a report back, and they said, yeah, um, we can, there's no way that we can do this. All these guys are so much bigger than us. And, and that's at the point where God said, okay, you guys can't make it in. That's also uh, one of our points. Slaves do not believe that God will defend them. Slaves do not believe that God has their back. You know how you, <laughs> the two ways that, 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 that you can recognize if you don't believe that God will defend you is if you live your life in an aggressive posture. Like, man, I am the, I, I, I have to be on the attack. I have to show my strength. I can't show any weakness because I have to look strong. I cannot uh, be, be left vulnerable. God will not defend me. I have to defend myself. And there's people that just live in a defensive posture. I just know I'm going to get hurt. I just don't want to live my life because I know I'm going to I know I'm going to be I, I know I'm going to be taken advantage of. I'm so vulnerable. Uh, I'm going to, to to get hurt and they live their life with their hand in front of their face because they don't want to get hurt. When God doesn't want us to live in fear 
of getting hurt because he will defend us. So God says that these people won't be able to make it into the promised land. Uh, they walk around for a long time. That's really the rest of the story. <laughs> they walk around. Most of them die except for a couple of them. They build a tabernacle. They build the ark. And then Joshua comes, and, and uh, Joshua says that, that when they crossed over the river, that the, that the Levites actually had uh, the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders as they walked across the Jordan and into the Promised Land. And it makes me think about something when, when you compare that way of going to the Promised Land to uh, Moses with his staff, uh, it, it makes me think that slaves do not believe that God is close to them. I'm going to kind of give you a thesis statement here, um, or kind of a hypothesis, is that you are only as free as you believe God is close to you. You are only as free as you believe God is close to you. The children of Israel did not think that God was close. They, in fact, relegated him to Moses. They said, please, you guys just talk on the side and they end up dying in the wilderness. And, 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 and then Joshua comes and says, God, we need you with us. We need your presence. Please, you sent the ark among us. And they're able to make it into the promised land. But the story actually doesn't end there. That, that, that God says, okay, they, we have a tabernacle now. And then they build another one that's, that should be even better. But he said, I'm still too far away from my people to bring them the type of freedom that I want to. So then he sends his son, Jesus. And Jesus comes. And if you read the book of John, you'll see that the writer is trying to communicate to everyone that Jesus is actually the greater exodus, that he is the exodus, that he is the way out. Just like, just like Moses, Jesus had to travel to Egypt as an infant because, because uh, of, of persecution. And then when he comes back, just like Jesus, I'm sorry, just like Moses, he goes through the water of baptism. And then, just like the children of Israel and Moses, he has his own wilderness experience where his appetite is tested. And then, just like Moses, who sends out 12 spies, he sends out 12 disciples. And just like Moses, who, who uh, brings the plagues, Jesus goes about undoing the plagues, do, bringing light to darkness, uh, healing the sick, raising the dead. It's like Moses, uh, uh, who was able to, 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 to go up onto a mountain and see the backside of God, Jesus brings his disciples on top of a mountain, and the Bible actually says that they're able to see his face, and it shines white, showing that through Jesus we can actually see the face of God. Just like the story where Miriam dances right after making it across the Red Sea, when Jesus is resurrected, Mary is there and she shouts to everyone what she's seen and what she experienced. See, see what, what, what the writer is trying to communicate here is that if you need a way out, if you need freedom, if you, if you uh, need to get out of bondage, what you need to do is look at the person of Jesus. He said it is all wrapped up in Jesus. It is all right there. In fact, 
I think the actual issue with the children of Israel is that they weren't able to see Jesus in their story. If you turn to Jude, uh, uh, Jude, verse 5, didn't throw up there. The right of Jude, New Testament says, So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt. That it was always Jesus. That he was the one doing the rescuing to begin with. That he was the one who, who was shepherding them throughout the wilderness. And, 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 and I'd, I'd, I'd beg you to look for Jesus in your story. You see, some of you all uh, uh, need the empowerment of the Spirit to move forward this morning, but some of you all need the empowerment of the Spirit to look back and see Jesus. It reminds me of a story uh, that I heard when I was a, a college student, one of, my, uh, one of the worship leaders me and Dustin were in college. Uh, he was a great man. And uh, when he was a, a toddler, he was abused by his, um, by, his, by his babysitter. And he carried that for years. Carried it in his heart. It, it affected his life. He was in his young, he was in his early 20s, going to Bible college, trying to pursue the Lord. And he was just in his car, just weeping, crying one morning. Uh, and and, and he, was, he was angry at God. And he said, God, where were you? God, where, where were you? Where were you? And then Jesus responds, I was, or the father responds, I was there because I had to know what to put on my son. You see, Jesus is in your story intimately. If you look back, he will be there. If you look forward, he will be there. As we close, Jesus actually uh, says, you know what, to bring freedom to my people, I, I, I'm actually not enough myself. I'm actually going to leave, and I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to come so I can have an even closer relationship with the people that I love and that I care about. That he knew, he knew that, that if proximity to me equals freedom, I want to be as close to these people that I could possibly can. So he said, I am going to put my spirit in them. I'm going to give them a renewed heart. I'm going to, 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 to come and transform them from the inside out. It wasn't enough for me to just send my son. I actually had to send his spirit to rest and to live in people. You see, this morning you actually have everything that you ever will need to live out the life that God called you to, to live. You actually already, if you've received Christ, inside of you have the spirit to help you and the spirit to free you and the spirit to break off any bondage that you have in your life. It doesn't matter if it was in the past. It doesn't matter if it's something in the present. It does not matter. God is there and his spirit is in you to bring freedom this morning. So as the band plays... Just uh, bow your head and close your eyes. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Were there areas where maybe you've received slave thinking? Where are areas where you need just a renewed mind? What are places in your past 
where, where he, may, he might want to touch this morning. The prayer team is going to come up in a moment. Um, I'm going to pray for all of us. And once I say amen, I just ask you all to stand. And, and Nate, Nate's going to lead us in worship here. And if you need prayer for anything at all, please come up to the front. They, they'll pray. We'll stay here for as long as we need to, uh, to, to pray for you. Lord God, I pray that everyone here just has an intimate encounter with you, that you bring freedom to our hearts, that you're softening up hard hearts today, that anyone who needs prayer for any reason at all will come forth. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. Amen. Please stand.